If you haven't already, make sure and take your sermon notes out of the back of your bulletin so you can follow along because today we're ending a five-week series that we've been doing called Story. In all of December, we talked about how we need to look back in our life, how we need to look at our past so that we can learn from our story what God has done for our life. But here's what I want to tell you today as we start a new year. It's as important to write the future of our story as it is to record the past of our story. Recording the past is a big deal. And we're excited through our story campaign all year long through our small groups to teach you how to tell your story, to go back in your past and to be able to really write down what God has done for you and when God did it. Knowing how Jesus worked in your past is huge. But on this first Sunday of 2015, understanding how you want Jesus to work in your future is just as big of a deal. If you have your Bible, I want to ask you to turn to a book that you might not be able to find unless you look in the table of contents. It's the book of Habakkuk. It's a minor prophet book. It's only three chapters long. I put my strings in mine so I could find it real fast because you'll, you'll flip by it. If you start at Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, and, and go back towards the Old Testament, you might find it a little faster. But in Habakkuk chapter 2, we meet a prophet who has some questions for God. And in Habakkuk, it literally is a book of Habakkuk asking questions and God answering questions. And the second question that Habakkuk asks is a question that probably all of us would ask God if we got to have a conversation with him. The question was this, God, what's in my future? God, what does the future hold for me, for my family, for my people as a representative of Israel? This is what Habakkuk wanted to know. God, what does the future hold for me? What does the future hold for my family? What does the future hold for my people? And God's answer that we're going to read today was pretty interesting because basically, in summary, God said this. Uh, Habakkuk, my plan for your future depends on your plan for your future. Basically, Habakkuk, I'm going to be present in your life in the future as much as you plan for me to be present in your life for the future. So I'd love to answer that question of what's coming next, but I need you to answer that question of what's coming next so I can tell you how I fit into that because Habakkuk, I fit into your plan for your future where you plan to fit me into your plan. And in Habakkuk 2.2, here's what God said about the vision that he would have for Habakkuk's future. And this is going to be the basis for our Bible study time today as we try to basically build a template for you to go home and sometime before you go to bed tonight, begin to actually write down some goals for 2015 for you, for your family, for your spiritual year, so that you can understand God fits into your future where you plan to let God fit into your future this year. So you can have the best year ever. After Habakkuk asked God, God, what's my future hold? In Habakkuk 2 verse 2, it says, The Lord replied, write down this revelation. You might circle that word revelation and and write the word vision out next to it in your Bible. Write down this revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Now there's lots of versions of the Bible in the English language. One of them is the New King James. And in the New King James, God says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. Basically, God is saying, you get to write your story for the future. It's great to record your past. It's even better to write the story of your future according to what you want to do if you got to do it your way the first time. How big is vision? Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, where there is no vision, the people perish. 
And while I don't believe you're going to perish this year if you don't have a vision for your new year, I believe this. Some of your greatest intentions for 2015, some of your greatest plans for 2015, some of the greatest hopes you have for 2015, if you don't write them down and figure out a way to do them, they're probably not going to happen. And some of you sit here today in 2014, for some of you, was the very best year of your life. Like 2014 is a year that you want to take, put it in the time capsule, lock it in the vault because it was the very best year of your life and you want to have it to reach back into forever. And 2014, for some of you, you want to put right in the burn bag and you want to drop it down the trash chute and you want to burn it and never see from it, hear from it, experience it again. But regardless of whether 2014 was your best year or your worst year, it was an old year. And now a new one has come and you have the opportunity at the very beginning of this year to lay out this year the way that you, when you get to January 1, 2016, the way you wish you would have lived this year. We had a sign hanging in my locker room in college that said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And some of you got to the end of 2014 and you hit all the spiritual goals you set because you didn't set any spiritual goals. And you hit all the family goals that you set because you didn't set any family goals. And you basically got to the end of 2014 and you go back to say, what did I hope to accomplish this year and what did I accomplish? And you say, man, I can't remember. I can't remember what I was thinking on January 1. It's my goal for you today to take the template of this message, which is really just going to be kind of a skeleton that you're going to have to add some thought to so that you can live with great purpose and great intentionality this year, so that you can live with the very most impact that God has for you. So I'm going to give you five areas of your life that I think every Christian should set goals in every year. And then I'm going to give you seven spiritual tips, which as a pastor, I'm going to say, I want you to do these, because if you do these, you're going to have a great year spiritually. The first four areas of your life, you're going to have to figure out what those look like for you, because I can't tell you what you're supposed to weigh and what you're supposed to do in your job and what friends you're supposed to have. But I can shape for you a spiritual template of things that the Bible says are important. And I believe if you'll lay these out on January 4, January 5, January 6, and you follow them, you'll have a wonderful year. So let's write our future for 2015. Some goals that I hope you will set before you go to bed tonight. Number one, some physical goals for yourself. Some physical goals for yourself. And I'm not saying this because I get a cut from Jenny Craig or anyone else. I'm not talking to you necessarily about going on a diet, not talking to you about getting in shape, not really talking to you about joining a gym, but there, there's some sense where having physical goals is a spiritual thing. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, the Apostle Paul said, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who's in you, whom you've received from God? Paul said to ignore your body and how you treat your body is like ignoring a gift, a really good gift that God got you. It would be like on Christmas Eve opening this unbelievable gift under the tree and then just leaving it there for another year if you don't focus on taking care of and using what God gave you. To ignore your physical body and your physical life is to abuse the gift that God gave you. So I want to give you three goal areas to think about that I believe will have good impact on your spiritual life in the physical area. And these aren't going to be blanks on your sermon notes. You're going to have to jot them down somewhere. Number one, I believe every Christian should have a goal for their, for their healthy weight. I believe every Christian should know at this weight, I'm healthy. At this weight, my doctor says that, you know, I, I don't have extreme concern for diabetes or heart disease or heart attack. 
At this weight, you're taking care of yourself and you're able to really live at your best. What is that weight for you? This is why I told you I can build you a template, but I can't, t- I can't tell you you need to weigh X or I can't tell you to lose X. I can't tell you to start working out or start dying. But everyone should have a goal of at this weight, I think God built me with this type of body and at this weight, I'm really healthy and I give my best to my spouse and I give my best to my kids and I give my best to my work. This is me healthy. What is that? And how do you get there? Secondly, under physical goals. I believe every Christian should have goals to get proper sleep over the course of a year. The medical world today has said that the American epidemic is a lack of sleep. And it's funny, man. As as a pastor, I stand on the end of the sidewalk and say hi to people as they come into church at 9 a.m. And it was so cold this morning that like I came in and my face was bright red half of the 9 a.m. service that I was preaching And I say goodbye to people as they leave. And I sit up here and I look at people as I preach. And you know what I what I recognize Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? Man, people look tired. You know? Like as they come in, people are tired. It's like I don't know what I don't know if you just stay up really late on Saturday or if everyone's just working too hard. But man, people look tired. Walk into work tomorrow morning on Monday morning and just look around at people and see who doesn't look tired. You know, with better sleep, you're going to be a better husband, a better wife. With better sleep, you're going to be a, a better parent. Better sleep, you're going to be a better employee. So I, I, I want to challenge every one of you to set some sleep goals because that will help arrange some other areas of your life. And then number three, under physical, I, I, I want to challenge you to get rid of a bad habit that you've been talking about getting rid of physically in your life forever. You know, last year was going to be the year where you quit chewing tobacco or you quit smoking cigarettes or... You know, you quit drinking so much. Last year was the year you were going to drop this thing because physically it was going to be good for you. And here we are in January again, and you've not stopped it. Set a goal this year to drop a bad habit that negatively impacts you physically. So every Christian should have some physical goals. Physical goals are important, First Timothy. Paul, who mentored this young man, Timothy, said physical training is of some value. You ought to, you ought to make sure physically you, you keep it together. Then he went on to say godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. But Paul told Timothy, you should work out. You, you should make sure and take care of your body. So I want to challenge you. Go home and set some physical goals and work towards reaching those this year. Number two, set some family goals. I don't know that this verse in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen is more applicable anywhere in life than in family. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Listen, if you don't have a vision for what your family life looks like in 2015 right now, then most likely your plan is to give your family the time you have left. And what you're going to find out like every year is that you don't, you don't have much time left. And your family gets what's last, not what's left. And what's last is sometimes what's never You know, I think if we'll lay six things into our calendar before we start the year, and we say, these six things we're going to do this year, we'll get to the end of the year, and we might have said no to a lot of things, but we would have said yes to family, and I I think we'll be at a place where we feel good about. Number one, family nights. I think every mom and dad with kids, every single mom and dad with kids should have one night of the week where you work to make it a family night, which means your kids are going to have to shut down what they do. You're going to have to shut down what you do. And you have something that you do one night a week, and it may be a different night every week, but you say Sunday before we go to bed, hey, Tuesday, we're going to have family night. Hey, Thursday, the family's going to stay together. Hey, this Friday, you can't go out. Our family's going to be together. 
But you take a little bit of time and you do something as a family. Play a game. Uh, watch your favorite show. Re- read a book together. Go out to see a movie or stay home and order one up on Netflix. Do some kind of activity together. But I would challenge you. Four, 48 times this year, or if you travel a lot, maybe 36 or 40 times this year, schedule a family night in. Sunday night before you go to bed, just stop say, hey, when is everyone home at the same time? Is there any way we could spend two hours together? You know, the, the family dinner, leave it to beaver around the table existence that I grew up with, that probably many of you grew up with, that doesn't exist a whole lot in the busy metro Kansas City world that we live in with kids' sports and jobs and everyone on the move. But if you fam- try to plan one family night a week where you're just together doing something, it'll be huge for your family. Secondly, I want to challenge you throughout the year to plan some family events on purpose, in advance, that are budgeted. You know why most families don't ever do anything fun together? Because they don't have enough money. Because they don't think about it till last minute, and then they either put it on a credit card and they get mad because they're in debt, or they refuse to do it because they haven't put away money. What if in January you looked at the whole calendar and said, on these two or three dates... We're going to do something as a family. Realize that Memorial Day and Labor Day and the 4th of July are on the calendar every year at the exact same time. And those are days that usually, generally, you have off as a family together. Birthdays, anniversaries, special days, last day of school. Some things in the calendar where you can say, hey, our family's going to do this and you can begin to plan and budget for it right now. We have lots of families in our church that do... That, that do this really well. We've got some dads in our church that take their sons hunting every year on the first day of hunting season. We've got some moms in our church that do some mother-daughter stuff with their girls every year. We've got a family in our church that makes sure a couple times a year that they get home to special places and like those two or three days are blocked in their schedule and they never deviate from that. Build some family event time into your family. Take a family vacation, number three. If you say we don't have money for it, start planning this year to take one next year. Seven consecutive Sabbaths where you turn off the phone, turn off the computer, and you just spend time. The Israeli family in the Old Testament was commanded three times a year to take a one-week vacation as kind of a spiritual pilgrimage together during their feast times. There's a reason God built those into the calendar so families would slow down together. Figure out what days off you're going to have. In this two-income world that we live in, in our community, a lot of husbands and wives never have days off at the same time, or they have the same day off, but in a different window of time. You've got to figure out monthly, when are our days off, and what are we going to do to be off and not on when we're supposed to be off? If you're married, go on some dates this year. And listen, Valentine's and anniversaries, those are not dates, those are events. If that's the only time you ever take your wife out to eat, men, you need to do a better job going on dates. Go out and see a movie. Go out and get some coffee. Go take a walk. Go, go to your favorite museum. Plan some things as a husband and wife where you're going to get together and you're going to date. And then as a family, set some spiritual goals. Look at your family and say, hey, what are some things we want to do spiritually as a family this year? We had 17 people that were baptized two weeks ago after church on a Sunday morning. And I'm so glad it was warmer then than it is today. Or that would have been a difficult day of baptisms. But I had several of those family members tell me after this baptism, now everyone in our family has been baptized except my husband, except for my wife. So from all, so we're, we're praying they'll do that next year. Have a conversation with your family about, hey, what are some things that you want to experience this year that as a family, 
we'd like to experience this year. Maybe it's a Bible reading plan. Maybe you're going to do kind of a tag team marathon through the Bible. Dad, you'll take a few books of the Old Testament. Mom will take some. Your kids will take some New Testament or Old Testament. And together as a family, you'll read through the Bible. Or you'll memorize the Beatitudes. Or you'll memorize the Ten Commandments. Or you'll memorize the list of the disciples. What are some biblical things as a family? You can say, hey, let's set a goal to do this and see how it goes. Everyone memorize a verse or everyone memorize ten verses. What are some spiritual values as a family that need to kind of sit in the DNA of your family in 2015? Danielle and I have decided, and maybe we're the only family like this, but we really see it after the kids are home for two straight weeks with with no school. Our family tends to get a bit snippy with, with each other from time to time. We just speak harshly to each other. We speak quickly to each other. So we've said as a family, one of our spiritual goals is, is just to speak more kindly to one another. We want to see our kids speak more kindly to each other. We want to see Danielle and I speak more kindly to each other. We, we have a goal to be more patient um, with our kids this year. And it was funny as we were talking through these goals a few days ago, I had to run to the bank. And I think Christian was trying to set a record for how many hours straight you could play a video game without like changing your pajamas or moving or like eating. Cause like just all Christmas break, he'd been playing his new games. So I, I told Christian, I said, hey, run to the, run to the bank with me. Um, and he said, well, will you take me to get a donut? And I was like, yes, I'll, I'll, I will buy you a donut if you go to the bank with So we went to the bank, and we go to the bank, and I'm depositing a few checks. And the lady starts talking to me in the little drive through thing. She said, hey, have you checked out our new mortgage rates? And I said, no, I'm, you know, I'm not interested, no thanks. So she comes back, she says, well, we might be able to save you money. Could someone at least call you? And I said, yeah, yeah that's fine, they can call me. And she said, what's your number? So I gave him my number, and we pulled away, and Christian said, you don't really want that lady to call you, do you? And I said, no, and he said, I could tell. He said, why'd you, why'd you give her your number? I said, I don't know. I just, it's, hard, it's hard for me to say no. And without missing a beat, he said, you say no all the time to me and Casey. I mean, like, just instantly, it's like, you don't have a problem saying no to me? And I thought, you know, I'm going to try to get better at that in the new year. I'm going to say no more slowly or in different ways to the multitude of requests that you have from me. I had someone in our first service who came up to me afterwards and they said, anytime you don't want to give out your phone number like that, just give them Pastor Ryan's. And they'll, they'll never know. So I thought, that's a great idea. So if a mortgage specialist calls you, that's, that's, uh, that's why, Ryan. Um, but have some family goals. Listen, if you have a vision for your family, you'll put a plan in place for your family. And if you have a plan, you'll live with purpose. Number three, I want to challenge you I want to challenge you to think about and talk about your career this year. And and here's why I say this. The reality of what I am seeing and hearing in our church, among our families, um, in the generation that I live in, I can't tell you how it it appears that 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 everyone is miserable in their job. Like, I can't tell you how many people approach me, and maybe it's because I'm a pastor and it's, it's my role to speak faith in it, but I can't tell you how many people are unsettled in their career. They don't like their boss. They don't like their job. They don't, um, they don't like their pay. We have a host of teachers in our church who all are struggling with, you know, some curriculum changes that are being made nationwide. I mean, there should be a support group just for the teachers, like, in our church, like, it's amazing the difficulty that people have getting up going to work every day. 
And I think as you look at your career, I think you need to keep three things in mind as you look at your job and what you're doing this year. Number one, I want you to look at your career with perspective. And here's the perspective that the Apostle Paul gave the Christians in the first century. He said, this is the only way you can be happy at your job every day. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Let me tell you why I said that. Almost every Christian in the first century was a slave. So you, you feel like you work for like a slave driver? They did work for slave drivers. Like they were slaves. And Roman slaves, you know, they were paid a little bit. They were taken care of a little bit. But, but they were all slaves who, for the most part, all would have switched careers if they could have. And the Apostle Paul looked at him and said, listen, the only way you're going to be able to get up and be motivated every day to go to work and do your job is if, is if you have the perspective that you're working for God because your boss will never appreciate you enough. And your coworkers will never say thank you enough. And the people you're serving will rarely recognize all the sacrifice and time and money you put into it. If you're doing what you're doing for anyone other than the Lord, you're going to be let down. So you have to have the perspective that when you get up and go to work, you're working as hard as you can. You're doing your very best because you're trying, you're trying to honor God. That's the only person who's worth our best effort every day. Secondly, I want you to remember when you think about your career, I want you to think about your career with the influence that you have. Because maybe the only good reason you're in your job right now is because God wants to use your Christian influence. You may work at a place where everyone hates their job and maybe where everyone hates their boss. But God wants to show them what a Christian who hates their job looks like. Because like, you hate your job too, but you, you should stand out. You should, you should hate it differently or hate it better if that even makes sense. In 2 Corinthians 2.15, here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, we, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Paul said, our life every day is influencing people about who Jesus is. So you can really be uncomfortable in your job, but have tremendous respect for people because you're a Christian. You could be at a dead-end career, but be positive and have hope because you're a Christian. Students, you, you can be in a class where no one likes the teacher because he or she is unfair to everyone, but you're the one who's always respectful because you're a Christian. See, the Apostle Paul says, regardless of whether or not you like your job, you enjoy your job, you're doing good at the job, you have the responsibility as a Christian to show people how Jesus would work in this difficult job. And maybe you're the only Christian who works in a really toxic atmosphere, but maybe your spirit could change it all because you work like you're working for God and you work realizing that how I work today has influence on everyone else. And I can influence people positively. And then maybe bullet point number three, I, I find myself talking more and more to families about this. Perhaps you're moving into a transition season. It's possible that some of you are working a job right now that, that maybe you need to get out of. And I want to say this so carefully, because what, what happens is people leave and they, they, like, they quit their jobs, and then they say, you know, Pastor Kay, you told me to quit my job. What do I do now? I'm not telling anyone to quit their jobs. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage you to transition unless you've 
talked about it for at least a year, probably. But I had a counselor tell me when I was in a season working a job that I could not continue working and still have my sanity, still have a good marriage, still, still, still love my kids well. He told me, he said, Christian, anytime you're in a situation that you know you cannot continue to live in for at least five years, you've got to figure out what transition you're going to make. Because anytime you're in a season that you cannot possibly endure forever, it doesn't have to be now, but you have to make a transition. You have to be aware that change has to come. And change is not a bad thing. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says there's a time for everything and there's a season for every activity under the heaven. There's a, there are times in life where you have to transition from one thing to another. And if you're in a job right now where you know, Christian, I'm never going to have family time in this job. And I'm never going to take my wife on a date and, on, on this job. And I'm never going to have weekends off on this job. And I'm never going to be able to come to church with this job. And I'm gonna, you need to... Figure out how to change jobs. Transition's okay if it's thought through, if it's prayed through, if it's talked through. But don't go through 2015 knowing that if 2015's like 2014, you're not going to make it. You can't just blindly go until you crash and burn. You've got to figure out what transition looks like. Number four, I want you to have a plan this year for relationships. Because I believe the relationships in your life will be the most important spiritual thing happening around you in 2015. And I want you to write on your notes, this, this isn't in blanks, but I want you to write four categories. And I want you to go home sometime today or this week and I want you to fill in these categories. There are four types of people in your life. Category number one, those who spiritually fill you. When you're around them, you feel closer to Jesus. When you're around them, you feel encouraged. When you're around them, you feel close to God. When you're around them, you feel like you can take on the world spirit. You have people in your life who spiritually fill you. Category number two, you have people in your life who spiritually drain you. And when you're around them, like you leave and you just feel depressed, you're discouraged, and you're empty, then you, you poured out, and that's great that you were able to minister to someone, but if, if you hang out with people who spiritually drain you, Without hanging out with people who spiritually fill you in, in between, you're going to like turn into a sponge, and when sponges get dry, they just break. You're going to break. Category number three, people who spiritually strengthen you. Every time you're around them, you want to be a better Christian. You become a better Christian because they're in your life. And then category number four, people who spiritually weaken you. If you were to go home and write down the names of the 10 people that you spend the most time with in your life, most of those 10 are probably not even going to be a, a part of your family. The person who works across the hall from you, the person you share a cubicle with, the person you go on business trips with most often, the person you, you're hanging out with as you're entertaining clients. If you take the 10 people in your life you hang out with the most and put them in these categories, and you realize that you've got some spiritual deficits in people who fill you and strengthen you, You've got to make some good relationship transitions in the new year because the Bible is filled with warnings and with wisdom about our relationships. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You cannot think you're going to hang around people who drain you all the time and you're going to be happy and full spiritually. That's, that's being misled. Proverbs 22, 24 and 25 says, Don't make friends with a hot-tempered person. Don't associate with people easily angered. Or you might learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. You ever been having a good day and you get to the water cooler and everyone's having a bad day and by the time you leave, you're having a bad day too? 
all of a sudden you're angry about something you didn't even know you were angry about because you hadn't heard about it, but now you did. It's like people have the ability to impact you negatively. And then Ecclesiastes 4, in a good way, says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If one falls down, they can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So who do you keep around you to make sure when you fall, you get back up, to make sure when you're getting ready to break, you hold it together? A few years ago, a show came on called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with Regis Philbin. And the whole world started wearing like the same color shirts and ties at the same time because that's, that's what he did. But a part of this show, you had to answer questions to win a million dollars. But if you ever got stumped, one of the things you could do to, to get help is you could phone a friend. There are some Christians in our church who don't have one Christian friend that they can phone when they don't know the answer to what life is throwing at them. There's some people in our church that when they, when they go off on one of their kids and it just creates tension, they don't have anyone to call to say, man, I just messed up, what, what do I do? There's some people in our church that when marriage gets really hard, they can't phone a friend and say, man, what do I do? Like, I've, like I feel like if things keep, like I feel like I'm going to get a divorce if this doesn't stop. What, what do I do? There's some people who, when you're afraid you're going to lose your job, when they announce a new round of layoffs that are coming, you don't have anyone you can call and, and pray for. You need to fill your life this year with relationships of people that are like your phone a friend. When you have a question, when you have a crisis, when you need something, somebody you can pick up the phone, someone you can send a text message and say, like, I need five minutes of your time right now. If you don't have that friend, you have to find that friend spiritually in this new year. And we love to, as a church, help you do that. And then finally, number five, and this is where I, th I think I can speak directly into your goals. I want to challenge you to set some spiritual goals. And I've got seven that I want to challenge you to set. First four things, I can shape the conversation, but I can't set your goals. I, I can't set your physical goals. I can just tell you to have some. I can't set your family goals. I can just tell you to have some. I, I can't tell you what to do with your career. I can't tell you your relational goals. But as a pastor who's worked with hundreds of people who are developing spiritually, I can tell you some spiritual goals that I promise will help you grow spiritually. So I want to give you some recommended spiritual resolutions for 2014. And they really, there are four of them that, that really revolve around how, how we do church. When we decided to start a church, we studied the book of Acts, which I will begin teaching through next Sunday morning for a year. And we said, what happened in the book of Acts to take these people from like hiding in an upper room to telling the whole world about Jesus? How'd they develop spiritually? And there were four primary things that happened. They, they had a weekly worship experience, like they went to church. They engaged in Christian relationships. They met in small groups. They embraced serving uh, and volunteering. Everyone pitched in when something was needed. And then they were all equipped with a spiritual growth plan. Like the New Testament epistles, like everything that Paul wrote, Peter wrote, um, John wrote, all those were, were personalized spiritual growth plans. Hey, here's who you are. Here's your next steps as a Christian. Just do these things. So let me give you four resolutions. Number one, I, I want to challenge you to be more committed to the Sunday worship experience than ever before. Because there's something about a Christian getting in church on Sunday that helps you grow and stay close to Jesus. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the author of Hebrews says, let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How can we help each other grow is what he's saying. He says, don't give up meeting together as some 
are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. Listen, some of you got in the habit of not coming to church last year. I get it. Busy life, busy kids, life transition, you're tired. Some of you got in the habit of not coming to church next year. Reset that goal in 2015 and be in church more this year than ever before. It can only help you spiritually. Resolution number two, give small groups a chance. I would tell you just go to a small group, but I've not been to every one of our small groups. I'm sure they're awesome, but you've got a particular small group that you fit in where you'll be comfortable. Well, man, you'll grow like crazy. So I want to encourage you to give small groups a chance so that you can engage in Christian relationships. You should hear the things that I hear about why people don't go to a small group. Well, what, you know, what if they have a cat in the house? You know, like I, I just don't like cats. What, you know, what if their furniture is dirty? What if I don't like the food? What if everyone's a Republican and I'm a Democrat? Or what if everyone is a Democrat and I'm a Republican? I mean, what, you know, what if it's the worst experience in the world? I mean, small groups, like that, that's worse than going to a new school, just like walking into someone's house and feeling like an outsider. That's hard. So we've put together a little thing to help people kind of test the waters of small groups called Test Drive. We say, hey, you wouldn't buy a new car without trying it first. So let's not ask people to join a small group for 12 weeks. You know, they go, then they don't like it, then they don't go back, and then they quit coming to church because they know people are going to ask them, hey, where were you Sunday? You know, we missed you with the pink guacamole. You know, I, I mean, it's just weird, right? So we said, let's give people a chance to try small groups before they join one so that they can feel out what they are, and so that they can ask us questions and say, okay, I like that, I didn't like that, do you have one like this? So we put together an event called Test Drive, and on Sunday night, January 25th, for everyone who's not in a, everyone who's not in a small group should go January 25th. We've, we've got the entire Gusto Coffee House in New Longview that's rented out just, just for us to be in, just to give you a chance to find out what small groups are like. If you're not in a small group, you should go to that. Like, you should, by the end of this service, get your connection card, turn it over on the back, check, I want to try a small group, write the words test drive, and let someone call and follow up with you. I promise you, if you will give small groups a chance, you could really grow spiritually this year. Third, this year, volunteer, volunteer, and when you're done with that, volunteer some more. Every Christian needs to embrace serving as a part of their spiritual journey. And listen, serve when you're here. So I'm not at church very often. That's all right. Serve when you're here. So I can only come once a month. That's fine. Serve when you're here. Well, you know, I actually only get into church maybe once every quarter. That's fine. Serve when you're here. Well, what if I can only come Christmas and Easter? We need more people helping that day than any other day. Serve when you're here. So what if I'm in from out of town and I only fly into town once a year to see my family at Christmas? On that Sunday, serve. We can use your help every Sunday of the year. Part of your spiritual DNA is supposed to be that you're supposed to serve. Every Christian is supposed to serve. So I'll say again, take your connection card, turn it over, mark on the back, I want to start volunteering. Someone will call you, and when you're here, we have something that you can do. We won't harass you, we won't make you feel bad, we won't schedule you when you've got season tickets for the Chiefs game, or when you're out at NASCAR, or your kid's off playing soccer. We won't, serve, we won't schedule you at those times. But when you're here, serve. We need your help, and it will help you spiritually. And then finally, number four, commit to grow you got to commit to grow. If you don't want to grow, you won't. That was Habakkuk's question. Lord, what's my future hold? And God said, well, it depends what you want. Some of you are saying, God, what's my future hold this year? And God's saying, it depends what you want. If you want to grow, you're going to grow. 
If you're too busy for me, you're probably not going to grow. But make a plan to grow. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7, Paul said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. God makes things grow. God makes things grow. If you have God in you, he wants to make you grow. If you're a Christian, God wants you to grow. God makes things grow. In 2 Peter 3.18, some of the very last words the Apostle Peter would ever speak in ministry because he would be killed soon after he wrote these words. His closing message to the world was grow. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow spiritually. So let me give you seven things to do that will help you grow spiritually. And I'm going to go fast. But these are seven that if you adopt them, you're going to grow. Number one, read your Bible consistently this year. I cannot tell you how important it is for a Christian to read their Bible if they want to grow. In John 17, 17, John said, sanctify them by your truth. The word is the truth. The word sanctify means to separate out for a purpose or to change to make like God. You say, I'd like to, I'd like to change and be more like God. How do I do that? Read your Bible. Like there's the simple answer. I want to change to be more like God. How do I do that? Read your Bible. And here's the crazy thing. Most of us are readers. I, I hear in conversational pods things that you are reading. That's great. But make reading your Bible your first priority. So I read Divergent last year. Great. Read about the divine this year. So I, I like to read books about vampires. That their faces light up when the sun hits them. That's great. Read one about the Son of God who shines like the stars in the universe. So I read The Fault in Our Stars last year. Great. Read about the God of the stars this year. So I, I really enjoy reading Sports Illustrated. Read Jesus Illustrated. So I really like reading about, you know, I, I like The Hobbit. Read about The Holy One. So I like getting on the internet every day and reading the daily news. Read the daily bread. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. You can go on this website, www.bible.com. It'll, it'll, it can send you a verse a day to your email. At the very least, have a verse a day sent to you so you're getting a little bit of scripture in you. I would encourage you actually to, to choose and read a section of scripture. Really, I would challenge you to read your entire Bible. That would be my goal for you this year. If you read your Bible 12 minutes every day and don't miss a day, you'll read your entire Bible through in an entire year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. 12 minutes a day. Read your Bible. You spend 20 minutes, you spend 12 minutes a day reading your books, reading your magazines, reading your news on the internet, flipping through your phone while you're waiting at, at drive throughs or in the doctor's office. Read your Bible this year. Number two, pray every day. Pray every day this year. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul says, pray continually. Pray with your kids before you take them to school and before you put them to bed. Pray with your spouse at some point every day that God will bless the things going on in your life. Pray on your way to work in your car. Keep your eyes open, but pray on your way to work. Turn off the talk radio. Turn off the music. Shut off the cell phone. Pray on your way into work and ask God to be with you. Pray at every meal this year. Don't put a piece of food in your mouth you haven't prayed over. Because if we will learn to just be in conversation with God, God will begin to be an ever-present reality in our life that we feel like we can talk to at any time. Pray every day. Tip number three, overcome a sin in your life. That thing that you've been asking God to forgive you for for years, that you've asked God to forgive you of a hundred or a thousand times, get over it this year. This year, make it a goal to get over it. In Hebrews 12, 1, 
Scripture says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance a race marked out for us. Sin will slow you down spiritually. Get rid of a sin in your life this year. Tip number four, drop an old spiritual bad habit. It's interesting that two things slow us down, things that entangle us in sin. What are things that entangle? They're just things that get in the way of what's going on in your life spiritually. What are some bad habits you have that won't send you to hell, but they kind of keep you away from Jesus? Get over those this year. Maybe, maybe talking too much or talking too little. Maybe gospel. Maybe, maybe having a skeptical attitude. Maybe judging everyone that you meet. Maybe a, a spirit of sarcasm or you know, a tendency to, to, to be the real crude or kind of raunchy joke teller. Just get over all that stuff. Take the spiritual bad habits in your life and move past those this year. Number five, invite somebody to be a part of your spiritual life this year by inviting them to church. God's plan, we talked about this in a series a few months ago called Domino. God's strategy for expanding the church is for people to reach people. It's not to build a building. We, we really hope we're going to build a building. We are not building a building because God said if you build a building, you'll reach more people. God said if you want to reach more people, the people need to go get people. That's his strategy. Jesus never had a building. The disciples never had buildings. For the first 300 years of the church, there was no buildings. People told people about Jesus and brought them with them. So I encourage you, write someone's name down, start praying for them, make it a goal to bring them to be a part of what we're doing. Tip number six, work as a family this year to grow spiritually together. Set some great family spiritual goals. I've already talked about this a little one, but man, if you're a dad, be a leader, pray with your spouse and kids this year. Moms, pray with your kids. Single dads, single moms, pray with your kids. For those of you who have students, let me speak into our 7th through 12th grade families on Sunday, January 25. We're having our 2015 Youth Ministry Vision Sunday after church that day. We're going to have a lunch together. We're going to be talking about youth camp. Our student ministry is taking a missions trip to Guatemala this summer that we'd love for your kids to be a part of serving in Guatemala. Um, we got middle school stuff. We got senior high stuff. Um, that evening, January 25, we're having kind of a preview youth ministry service. We're written out a place and doing a major youth ministry event that will be mu- very much like the youth ministry we'll do when we have a building and we have our own place every Sunday night and Wednesday night to meet in. Parents of students, mark January 25th on your calendar. Come join us. That'd be a good way to grow together as a family spiritually. And then tip number seven, live boldly. Live sensitively, but live with purpose. It's pretty easy to live boldly. There's lots of avenues in this world of social media that we live in. I want to challenge you to post one of your spiritual goals on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Vine or any of those other things that you're on. Go home and tell the world today, man, in 2015, here's one thing I'm going to try to do to live for Jesus better. That's living boldly. Uh, Figure out ways in the course of your life to allow Jesus to shine through you. One of our elders Robbie McCord has just opened a CrossFit gym over behind Home Depot, and I was over in his gym with him the other day, checking it out, Um, and he told me, he said, every day I put a Bible verse, I have a verse of the day on the whiteboard, and all I play is Christian music. You see, you can't imagine the number of people who've come up and said, man, thanks for the verse, thanks for the music, a lot of these other places are real dark and it's kind of heavy, thanks for being alive. All that is is just living boldly. Just being willing. Get a little whiteboard on your desk at work and write a little verse of the day. If you don't want it to be a verse of the day, wipe the reference off and call it a saying of the day. 
You say, well, I'd love to listen to Christian music at work, but you know, I, I might get in trouble. Get the Chick-fil-A version that doesn't have words. So you can sing in your head what it is. Just go to Chick-fil-A and say, how do I get this music without words in it? So I can play it in my classroom, or I can play it in, in my cubicle, or I can play it on the driving trips I take. Don't be afraid to be a Christian this year. Live letting people know you have faith. Live boldly. Live sensitively. Don't be that Christian jerk who judges everyone. But live boldly, live sensitively, and live with purpose. You see, when our life is about getting to know Jesus, we don't see these things I've given you as a list of things we have to do, but as a list of things we want to do because we're on a journey to get as close to Jesus as we can, and these things will help us. And this year, if you will write the vision, and if you will run with the vision, you can live the future life that God has designed for you to live. All of us are saying, God, what do you have planned for me this year? And God is saying back to us, it depends... Depends what you have planned for you this year. Because if you make room for me, man, I'm there. I want to challenge you. Go home, work over this list, put it in writing, post it somewhere where you can see it. And when you get to the end of 2015, you can say, man, I didn't aim at nothing. I aimed at all these things, and I might have only hit six of them. Man, it was my very best spiritual year ever in these areas because I set a goal to do it, and I stayed after it. Let's pray together.